This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Good afternoon and welcome to Left vs. Right. My name is Anthony Weiner, joined uh, by Curtis Sliwa. He'll be coming in at the top of the hour. So great to have you along on this balmy Saturday afternoon here on WABC Talk Radio. It's so great that you're joining us today. Today is one of those days where finally feel summer in the air. I guess we just skipped clear through the spring and we're going straight into the summer. And uh, lots of exciting things going on, exciting things going on. In sports, the Rangers down 2 nothing, lost yesterday, a tough one. They're not as good a team as Carolina, but they're hanging in, and they're playing, I tell you, they're playing Carolina-style game, and they're still hanging around these games. And so long as you have Shesterkin, you have a chance of winning. Um, I'm an Islander fan, as you know, but uh, i got to admire what the Rangers have done. They need their top line to start playing like it, um, and they need, frankly, Antirata to start playing like the goalie uh, he's always been. He's always been, you know, a 9-10, 9-15 goalie, but he's playing out of his mind right now. Uh, also, exciting things going on um, on the baseball diamonds of our local teams. The Yankees, I mean, I, I, again, I'm a Mets fan, but they they don't have a weakness in their game. I mean, they have one or two players who probably should be playing better, but judges playing at an MVP, MVP level, the the bullpen is just lights out. Their starting pitching is great. They are a legitimately good team. But what's interesting is that they are not running away with anything. It's still still plenty of competition in the East. And the Mets, man, we're getting some tough luck. You know, Jake DeGrom is still not back. Lost Max Scherzer for a couple of months. Tyler McGill is down. And we've got to win it with hitting, I guess. And Brendan Nemo is doing the best he can. But here it is, 90 degrees here, pushing 90 degrees here in New York City. And the Mets did not play yesterday because they got, wait for it, snowed out in their game yesterday. And you might say to yourself, well, that's got to be pretty rare, like my dad said today. But no, actually, I think last year they got snowed out, their opener out against Colorado. And they've had a few of them, although usually you don't expect it to be happening in May. If they started in April, I would maybe say, okay, Colorado might be getting some snow there. And uh, so this exciting time this is a good time to be checking out baseball Usually hockey isn't still going on. Some news around my life. My brother, my brother Jason, as I think I've mentioned to you before, is he's the talented one in the family. He's the one that if there's ever the rise of the robots or the return of, of the zombies, he would survive because he is a chef. And he um, opens and runs restaurants and does the cooking. He's very talented. And his restaurant here in New York called Almond, which is on... 
uh, East 21st Street between Broadway and Park Avenue South. Open for 15 years, is finally closing this week. And, you know, I had a little bit of a chance to talk to him about why, because I'm curious about um, why that would be. And before I go into that story, let me just give you the number if you want to join in the conversation. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. As I said, uh, my friend Curtis is going to be coming in at the top of the hour. And we have some interesting subjects to talk over with him. And we have to talk over a few things. And we also have to make sure to pay tribute to Biggie Smalls. I think it is Notorious B.I.G.'s birthday. But I'm getting off on a tangent of my tangent. So I asked Jason, I said, you know, tell me about why the restaurant's closing. It's been open for 15 years. It's a big space. It's been very successful over the years. And I was interested what it is. You know, there's a lot of news about economic peril that our city might be in. And he reinforced some things that you might have already assumed. He says that, look, the the catering business is not coming back. People are not having parties like they used to. His part of the city, which is in the Gramercy area, a lot of tech firms there that have gone completely remote. So the lunch crowd isn't what it used to be. Um, and I asked him, he recently opened a, a restaurant in Palm Beach, Florida. And I said, compare and contrast. Like, is it particularly easy in one place or another? You know, we have this notion, Florida is an easy place to do business. New York is difficult. And he confirmed that narrative. He said, look, it's no doubt about it. He has a restaurant also in East Hampton, New York, in Bridgehampton, New York. And he said that the regulatory red tape here in New York is very difficult. But then once you're you're used to it, once you know how to get up and running, which is difficult enough, he says just it is just really, really tough. Rather than someone coming and giving you a warning or giving you a – a call saying we're coming over to do inspections, make sure everything is in good shape. You know, he's getting slapped with summonses, getting dragged out of the kitchen to go into court, to you know, things like that, and just for relatively minor things. He says the taxes is overrated as a as a problem because people kind of build that into their lives. But he said the, the problems with hiring is also very difficult. He says there's a real shortage of workers now that he needs to keep a restaurant going. But um, it's sad because it is a, a, a that business – employees – I worked there for a little while when I got out of prison. That business employs literally dozens of people between the wait staff, the kitchen staff, and the support staff, and that's that's going to be missed. And so that's big news. And also in other news that, you know, doesn't – that is something that we have talked about here on Left versus Right before, and Curtis and I may talk about a little bit more later, the new congressional districts that are different than the old congressional districts that were different than the districts that were drawn by the legislature were approved last night at midnight or last – or yesterday – and it's going to mean a lot for for the politicians in our town. I think the citizens, to be honest with you, the citizens usually, you know, I, I you know, people say, oh, people, aren't people going to miss you when you don't run for Congress again? I, no, they'll just go on and vote for someone else. They don't view their politicians like that. Um, but a lot of politicians are going to be forced to run in communities that they're not familiar with. Some politicians are going to have to run against one another. Gerald Nadler, uh, the West, Co- the, the politician from the west side of Manhattan is going to be running against the politician from the east side of Manhattan, Carolyn Maloney. And I have to tell you something, one of those two candidates, you know, both of those candidates are in trouble if a third candidate gets in and said, listen, it's time for a change. You guys have both been in there for a while. Your seniority is not as valuable anymore if the Republicans take over the House. We need, to, we need new blood, and maybe, maybe it's time for a change. And in something that Curtis and I are going to be talking about a little bit later, in the district that covers the, uh, the house I grew up in, um, in Park Slope, also where I live now in Lower Manhattan – uh, is a new district, and I say it's a new district just because there's no incumbent living in it. 
It runs south from 14th Street across the island, takes in Greenwich Village, goes all the way down through Chinatown, and then goes out into Brooklyn, takes in Brownstone, Brooklyn. A guy named, let me see if I'm pronouncing this right, Bill de, Bla, Bill de, Bill de Blasio, I think I've, I'm saying that name right. Uh, um, he has announced that he is running. And someone named Montero Jones, who's a congressman already, he's an incumbent, but he's an incumbent for upstate New York, north of Westchester. I say anything north of the Bronx is upstate. And there's going to be a whole bunch of other folks jumping into that district. And that's going to be a fascinating test as well, is because it's not only a district that covers a lot of like very liberal areas, but includes some fairly conservative ones like Borough Park. Just not to get anyone's get anyone gossiping here, but this is the district that I represent parts of it for quite some time. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that as well, because it's going to be fascinating. We're going to there are definitely some of our Congress people who we got used to over the course of decades, like Nadler and Maloney, some of them are not going to be around anymore after redistricting. And the thing about this, and we're going to talk about it later, the thing about this is, in the in the abstract, this is good. When you have districts that are more compact, they have districts that are more logical, less drawn to protect people and uh, uh, politicians and more drawn to keep communities together. Overall, that's a good thing. The problem is... To say this is a victory against gerrymandering when every other state is drawing politically motivated lines, it makes this – frankly, it's kind of like only New York kind of laid down arms. Um, if we're going to do it, let's do this all across the country. But I think overall this is going to be good for democracy. There are people that I know that are good members of Congress that might not survive this, but there's no there's no – you know, it, it drives me nuts when I read in the newspaper or here on television. Someone saying, oh, the Jerry Nadler district. No, he's the member of Congress that represents that district. He doesn't have any divine right to that district. Um, and the fact that he hasn't had a real primary in quite some time, that Carolyn Maloney, she just came off a pretty tough primary on the east side and almost lost it to an unknown uh, – to a relatively unknown person – I think both of them are vulnerable. Even when they go head-to-head, there's going to be a third candidate who's going to give them both fits, who's going to come in there and say, these two are part of the problem. We need change. We need things to change, and it's not going to change if we keep um, if we keep doing things the same way. And I think that, that there's been a lot of discussion, oh, this is a, an election of change, a red wave is coming. There is discontent on the left as well. There is discontent with with many people who are moderate Democrats who feel that the left of our party has taken too much control. There's discontent on the left of our party thinking that there have been too many compromises being made. There's general discontent with the president. I don't think anyone – not no one, but his numbers are down even among Democrats. So I think it's going to be an interesting time. Curtis has some ideas about that uh, and look forward to him. Once again, he has been kind enough and John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez have, gang, have let me kind of take this first hour – to try to learn the craft, and Diego and Pete are helping me out here. And I want you to be part of the conversation as well. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can also go to wabcradio.com, and you can also always subscribe to this show as a podcast that you can get at any time throughout the week. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the district that, Joe, that uh, Bill de Blasio is running in, and that is a district that covers a, uh, a heavily uh, conservative Orthodox Jewish community of Borough Park. And a lot of those listeners listen to this show on podcasts since they uh, they can't listen during uh, during the Sabbath. And I would encourage you to sign up not only for this show, but 
every program that is here, and, and the programs have been enormously successful. If you haven't been reading the papers or you're not involved in the trades, you might not know this. But if you're a listener to WABC, you've probably heard us talk about it. This this station has gone from 25, 26th, 27th in the market and was taken over by John Katzmatidis, who really invested a lot, get, got the made a more of a local focus, more of a a balanced focus and uh, more uh, uh, more opportunities for you, the listeners, to participate in programs. Um, and now it is one of the most listened to in the entire city, and it's also one of the most powerful signals in the entire country. So I'm really happy to have you aboard on this uh, Saturday afternoon. If you'd like to reach me directly, it's not terribly easy to do. I'm not a big guy on social media. I do have an old Twitter account, uh, at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, and I have an, uh, an AOL email account, Anthony Wiener at AOL.com. And, you know, each week we try to have conversations where we go a little bit deeper into the issues of the day. We try to dig a little bit deeper. We try to get past some of the, the bumper stickers, some of the shouting matches that go on, maybe even a little bit deeper than on other programs. I get the opportunity because I'm on once a week to kind of listen to the programming all throughout the, the, the station, all throughout the week and kind of – I think what are the questions that come up for me as someone who is, you know, I am a a partisan Democrat, no doubt about it, but probably by the measure of today's Democratic Party, I'm probably more of a moderate Democrat, although I advocated things like single-payer health care. I was also very strongly pro-Israel in Congress, one of the the real Zionists uh, um, in Congress. I used to say um, I was a member of the Zionist caucus of the Democratic Party, but – I also recognize that there's a lot of the issues that emerge on the right side of the of the spectrum that I want to learn more about. And so what I've tried to do over the last several weeks is to say if you take out kind of the far left and the far right and look at the folks in the middle of those people, there's really two types, I argue. One is partisan people but who are open to ideas and who want to have a conversation about them. They're not dogmatic either way, Democrat or Republican. And probably on this station that's more to the right than to the left. And then a whole group of people – who are basically, you know, I'm going to say 30% who just don't believe in the institutions anymore, don't believe the institutions of media, don't believe the institutions of politics, don't believe that any of it is on the level. So they've kind of checked out. And I'd like to try to get them back involved in the conversation as well. And so there are a couple of things that that happened over the week that I have been trying to figure out a way to weave together. Um, and they're, you know, sometimes perhaps I'm trying to do this uh, to too great an extreme. And what we're going to do when we get back is I'm going to tell you about a call that we got last week that I got some emails about, that some people complained um, that I didn't respond to the call correctly. Some people responded that I didn't give it enough credence. Some people got upset with the attention that I gave it. It was the very last call that came in. And we're going to come back after the break, and I'm going to play that call, and I'm going to explain how the three things I've been thinking a lot about this week. My son Jordan went to visit Ellis Island with his class. The uh, court uh, reinstituted Title 42, the immigration. And then right after we got off the air, I think it was the next day last week, um, the horrible shooting happened in Buffalo. And when we get back, I'm going to try to tie those things together. As you can imagine, it probably has a little bit to do with immigration. But I want to explain to you my thinking and also open the call, open the phones up at 800-848-WABC 
800-848-9222 to see if some of the heat that I got about the way I dealt with that call is warranted. This is left versus right. My name is Anthony Weiner. It's so great to have you with us on, on this afternoon. And when we get back, we'll dive a little bit deeper into some of the heavy issues of the day. Great to have you with us. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Welcome back to Left versus Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. So great to have you along on this balmy Saturday afternoon. Curtis Lee will be joining us at the top of the hour. Um, if you'd like to join into the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can hear us every week at this time between uh, 2 and 4 o'clock, or you can download the podcast on the Red Apple Podcast Network or at wabcradio.com. You can stream it anywhere on the globe. So. Um, last week, we had a conversation about the uh, the baby formula shortage, and we talked about some of the stories that had emerged about some of this formula being at the border, and it turned into a little bit of a conversation about immigration. And that – I said at the time that that was fine, that you know these, these issues sometimes cross and intermingle. And coincidentally, this week, Jordan, my 10-year-old, went on a field trip with his classmates to Ellis Island and – came back and regaled me with stories, and it was fascinating to hear his experience of it. He's learning about migration. He's learning about immigration. I told him while he was there he should see if he could look up my great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather, a man named Wolf Wiener, W-O-O-L-F. By the way, I try to convince Huma to name Jordan Wolf. Can you imagine being in the schoolyard in 2022 named Wolf Wiener? But anyway – you know, I, he came back with the stories, and one of the stories he came back with was the idea that um, that when you got to Ellis Island and you were given a brief health inspection to make sure you weren't bringing in any diseases, if you look sick or were sick, you got a white chalk mark put on your face, and then they directed you basically to be held for a month there at Ellis Island in what was essentially a hospital. And if you got better after a month, you were allowed to continue on your way um, if you did not. Um, you were sent home, and that happened. His he, We were having this conversation as Title 42, which is the provision of not the immigration law but of the health law that gives basically that right to authorities. If the, the, the Center for Disease Control says that we need to close off the borders, that's something that has been in place, I think, since March of 2020. And uh, the, a court decision came down this week saying that it had to stay in place. And uh, so we were having these conversations about immigration. I'm thinking, you know what? I really should touch a little bit more about immigration um, because this was an issue that, uh, you know, you, the listener, uh, have expressed interest in. It's something that causes a lot of heat and sometimes doesn't cause as much light. I had done a show on immigration before and it got a lot of calls. Uh, And then I got a couple of angry emails about a call that we got last week just as we were going off the air and let me play it for you. Now, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say who it was, but let me play it for you now, and then I want to talk to you about it. What I don't understand is where all these people in politics and government, lawyers, experts, whatever you want to talk about, congressmen, senators, how come nobody sees 
that Biden is blatantly trying to take over the United States from inside. Not, we're not being attacked from outside. We've been attacked from within. And anybody who can't see that to me is blind. Blind. And if, unless something does something about this, this country's going to have a civil war like they've never seen in their life. And you know that as well as I do. So does everybody. You can't keep doing this. You know, you can smack a dog so many times in the mouth before he bites you. And that's what's happening to American people. So that was the last call that came in in the, the first hour and we were having this conversation. And that caller was not at all – you know, I, I cut out some of it where he said some nice things at the top. And I'm not putting his, his name on because I, I don't – you know, he, I didn't ask for his permission to replay it. But I got some very negative emails about that because many people heard the program after what happened in Buffalo and suggested to me that I didn't do enough to push back on kind of the idea that we were on the, in the midst of a current, a current war and not just a difference of policies and politics. And I was thinking about all of this in the context of uh, – oh, and the reason that they said that is because they heard the program and then heard the news about what happened in Buffalo and thought that maybe I, that, that person was expressing what the person in Buffalo was saying or some con- confluence of it, which he wasn't. I don't believe he was. But it started me thinking about the idea that you know we now have reached this point in some quarters of our debate that policy questions about what kind of immigration we have – who we let in, who we don't, what kind of enforcement. I've told you that I support building the wall. I've told you I support hiring more administrative officers and holding families close to the border and getting them out quickly if they're not eligible. I've talked about all of those things. I even think that it's probably right that we continue Title 42 for an additional period of time. But when you see that there are listeners to this debate, to this conversation, to this discussion, that immigration seems to them to be almost an existential thing that the country is under attack or that the country or that one party is in favor of of a of an america that is weaker or america that is so different than the one we have today that i realize that sometimes i am having a different conversation about immigration than maybe we should be having and i guess what i'm struggling with is it's very easy for me after having dealt with these issues a lot in washington to talk about the law of immigration, to talk about Title 42, to talk about the fact that we that the the fact that there's a labor shortage in this country and that and that strawberries aren't getting picked because we don't have immigrants that, that can come in who want to then leave. I can talk about all of those things, but if people don't believe that there's goodwill on both sides, that we are somehow in the midst of something that is much, much bigger, like someone wants to weaken the country or make it stronger, that we're on the verge of a civil war. This person who did this violence in Buffalo, a, this kid, he had it in his head that what was going on, that immigration wasn't a question of policy or issue. He had it in his head that it was a threat to him and his life and his way of being and, his, and the very country that he lives in. And he went in and shot people dead. And I want to make sure that we have a conversation here that honors the idea that, you know what, we have to not – we should – have our political debates as 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 tough as we think they should be and we can raise our voices and we can write op-eds and we can go and vote and we can throw the bums out. Um, but we have to be careful because some people that are listening to this debate believe that it is really a question akin to a civil war. And the reason I bring it back to Jordan's visit to Ellis Island is throughout history, 
since the since 1898 when my great grandfather came and even earlier than that right till to today the debates about immigration have been going on in very similar ways there has been this notion the people who come to this country look behind them at, at the turnstile at Ellis Island and say get out of my country there have been just my 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 ancestors many of you who are listening your ancestors this notion of of the group that are here being hostile to new people that come in. I get it. It's it's a thing in our country, and we try to manage it. We try to figure out the policies that we should have. But we have to realize that at the end of the day, this is a question of government policy. And there's not, as I have described before, not a huge difference between what the two sides are saying when it comes to policy. If we ever wanted to sit down and uh, and we wanted to say to the extremes on both sides, you guys wait while we try to solve this problem. It's not that hard to do. Now, people say to me, well, yes, but then it was different. Not really. There were some differences. No, no doubt about it. I mean, there's some differences that by and large people were coming by boat, for example. So it's much easier than trying to manage a 2,000-mile border. But by and large, the issues are the same. What people we want to come in, how we make sure that there are people that serve our needs as a growing country, how we make sure that, that people who are following the rules don't have the line jumped by people who are not how we keep out people who mean us harm, how we throw out people who don't follow the rules. All of these are laws that need to get passed. These are laws that have to get passed in Congress and enforced by the president and by the courts. That's at the end what it comes down to. Now, we can have a disagreement, and I'm interested in what you have to say, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. But we have to also be mindful of the idea that the language that we use and the way that we portray this thing does get out there in a way that's much more dangerous than it used to be. And before we go to the calls, I just want to point out something. I did a whole show about the pernicious effect of social media and the Internet on the most hateful hate speech that's out there. Well, this is an example. This guy that did this shooting cut and pasted a manifesto from the guy that did the shooting in Christchurch, which was from a document that was also the foundation of the beliefs of of the Oklahoma City bomber. The difference is the Oklahoma City bomber had to go out to a gun show and buy this pamphlet, this so-called book where it had this manifesto about white replacement theory originated. Nowadays, this guy just had to go find it online, download a PDF, and he was off to the races. And to make it even more horrific, he was able to then go and live stream that there were 15 viewers on, on Discord, someone doing this murder. He was then able – he was like 22 people were watching his stream on Twitch. And as of today, um, over a million people have watched his video even though you know the, the social media companies say that they've tried to take it down. All the while, 10 people are dead, three people are injured in one of the worst racial attacks in our country's history. So it matters how we have this conversation. This is why I think WABC does a service because we try to have a conversation that even when we – disagree and a lot of people may disagree with me today, we should understand that no, this is not a civil war. No, we are Americans. We are unified by far more than divides us. Yes, politicians will seek to make everything a life or death thing, vote for them or the world is going to catch fire. But at the end of the day, the policies that we come up with rely upon us saying these are problems we can solve. That ultimately these are proud, these are bridges that we can cross. We've done it before in our history. We can do it again. So that's my l- little bit about it. Um, I'd love to hear what what uh, what you have to say. 
Um, and uh, let's go to some of the calls. I appreciate all the people participating. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. A little later, we're going to be talking to uh, Curtis Lee at the top of the hour. Left, He's the right of left versus right, although we find ourselves in the middle frequently. He has some interesting things to say about Columbus statues, which is kind of a little bit like the issue we're talking about today. And we're also going to talk about um, our friend. I'm trying to figure out how to say his name. Bill de, 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 de Blasio, who's apparently running for Congress. But now let's go to the phones about about the issue of immigration. Uh, let's first go to Jim on Long Island. Hey, Jim, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Anthony. Uh, it's nice to talk to you. First off, I, I really enjoy you. I, I'm glad you came back and your conversations are great. I always listen to Curtis because he always brings the left, the left on, the right, the right on, and down the middle is where I like to think I go. So that said, last week you made a comment about immigration, and the immigration was that once they come across the border, if they plead uh, a threat to their life, we can't send them back. And that was the constitutional thing that you, I believe you quoted. Is that correct? Not exactly. What I did say is that we have a process that if you're in this country, you can make a claim for asylum and you can try to prove asylum before that you're removed. Now, that is uh, Title 42 is minimized that some. But we were talking about children and families and for children and families, they have that right. Yes. Correct. So uh, I understand that once they come here and they. They plead that thing because of their, their existing here. But the, the, can't we just let them I mean, do what we did before and check them over there? They really have a valid case, bring them over here as opposed to just let the hundreds of thousands cross the border and then deal with it once they get here? Because it seems like we're, we're dealing with more than just those who plead asylum. Is that correct? Yeah. So you're exact. That's a great plan. And that's the Biden plan. What he wants to do is to set up places within these countries, not just Mexico. I mean, the problem is now the immigration problem we have today is really not a Mexican problem. It is a problem with Honduras, Guatemala, Ecuador, these other countries that have been ravaged by covid have economic problems, have instability. So the idea is to try to get those 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 people not to come to the border to do that process, but to do it within their own countries. That's the, that's what we're trying to set up. We're trying to set up now. But you're exactly right. That would be the best way to handle this. Okay, and what was maybe I was wrong, but wasn't that the plan before? Wasn't that the process before he took office? Well, there is still, technically speaking, a. a, a, a it's not really a treaty. It's a remain in Mexico idea that we still send back. For example, under Title 42, which is this thing that's in the news today, um, it basically says that if you're a single adult and you can't make a humanitarian claim at all when you come over nowadays, you get turned right around. And so what does turned around mean? Turned around means we put you on a bus and basically dump you back in Mexico. Now, a couple of border stops in Mexico said we're not taking these anymore and so now we're doing what are called lateral transfers to these people but that's what we're doing we're putting them on a bus and taking away their belongings and taking away usually their money and whatever else and we're dumping them back that's what's happening under title 42 now the problem with that and we you know title 42's problem the ti- the problem with that is they are not technically being taken into custody then so they can keep they're going they keep trying since they, 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 since there's no reason why they shouldn't, and they they keep trying to come in other ways, but yeah, I mean, basically, that remain in Mexico is still the policy of the Biden administration. They they have said so, but that doesn't change much because the perception is that a lot of people have, maybe correctly, 
that when Biden came in, they can take another try. That's why so many people are, are showing up. Uh, but thank you very much, Jim. That, that was, a, it was a, a great input. Um, let me see. Uh, how about uh, uh, Eddie in Manhattan? Eddie, go ahead. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mr. Wiener. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eddie. Well, this is Eddie, the doorman, Sutton Place. Uh, what I understand is every year, one million people become approximately American citizens every year. And still, they cannot fix the border crisis and... No other country in the world has a million people that become American citizens like my parents from Yugoslavia. I mean, and all over the world. And still, it's like a tug of war. Do you think that's a lot or a little? I'm sorry? Do you think that's a lot or a little, Eddie? I think it's amazing that we have a million people of all countries, all faiths that become American citizens. I love it. But still, when each side tries to fix the border crisis, it's like a tug of war. They, they need to work together with people like you, Mr. Weiner. You have a good mentality. You got to work together. Well, I appreciate. Everybody it. should get the credit. Well, I appreciate. You know, Eddie, you're exactly right. I mean, here's the problem that we have, and I summarized it when we did this episode a couple of a couple of weeks ago. You can get that um, on the Red, Red Apple Podcast Network or anywhere you download podcast. We we cover the cover this show. Part of the problem is that traditionally, you know, we have a real labor shortage in this country, and labor shortage in places that immigrants frequently fill. Coming up with a program to check to make sure that they really have a job, to let them leave when they want to leave, which a lot of them want to leave. They want to make the money and then leave. Let them work and then go on their way. That's kind of the easy part. Having some kind of a work visa is relatively easy. The problem is on the left, on the far left, there are some people that say we want to let in almost everyone. And some people on the far right say anytime you let anyone come in, it's a violation of our sovereignty. And so Congress is doing nothing. But Eddie is not wrong. Uh, he is right that there are common sense solutions in the middle. People want to come here. We need the workers. We need the workers. I mean, we we have part of the reason we have inflation right now is there are a lot of sectors that don't have the workers that they need. I talked about how my, my brother's restaurant closed. You know, he has people, and as far as he's concerned, they're documented. They give him social security numbers, but I know that a lot of them probably aren't. They're operating with fake social security numbers. But the fact is that migration, immigration is an important part of the way we grow our economy. Finding a solution is not hard on paper, but very hard in politics. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And when Curtis joins us at the top of the hour, we're going to find out about his solution or his idea for how we deal with the Christopher Columbus statues. And I'm going to tell you a funny story about a statue I try to remove outside my Kew Gardens office and how it really backfired on me. Left versus right on W77 WABC. I'm Anthony Weiner. I'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to Left vs. Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. We'll be joined by Curtis Lee with the top of the hour. 77 WABC Talk Radio, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking about immigration, but we're also talking about where the immigration debate sometimes goes a little bit off the rails. Um, you know, I am coming at this as someone who was on the Judiciary Committee, who tried to come up with solutions who remembers being in the White House under uh, uh, George W. Bush when they were trying to put together a coalition of Democrats and Republicans to try to come up with common sense solutions to this. 
and um, how it fell apart because people screamed, oh, it's amnesty, it's amnesty. Marco Rubio, a leading candidate for president, arguably is never going to be president because he joined that group with us to try to come up with these solutions. And I played a call that we got last week where someone implied that we were leading to civil war over this. And and I don't believe that we are, but I got some criticism for not addressing that more more directly. Um, and so we're trying to come up with a way to talk about these things. Immigration, it's, I'm not saying it's an easy issue, but I am saying that if we agree on the parameters, that there are some people who we want to permit to come into our country, that there are ways that we want to make sure that whoever's here is here legally, that we make sure that we don't let anyone cut the line, that we make sure that we're kept safe, that people coming in this country don't mean us harm. Immigration, migration is part of the formula for what made this country great. And we all have different views of what that is. And my son Jordan visited Ellis Island this weekend, uh, this week rather, with his class um, and got a chance to look through the looking glass of how it used to be. In many ways, we say that, oh boy, why can't America be what it used to be? In many ways, this debate about immigration is exactly the way it's been, unfortunately, for decades and decades. Um, and we have to make sure that we go about the same process of trying to solve it as we have in the past. Um, next, let's go to some more calls about this. The board is filling up pretty much. Um, this says, uh, uh, Bill, are you in Bradley Beach? Uh, yes, hey, Don. I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks for calling again. I, I'm glad to have you. Uh, yeah, um, first off, the, the kid you, you used for this, like, the, you know, to start the Civil War, which I hope we, it isn't either. But uh, he didn't he want to kill his uh, class one week and, and, and commit suicide? And that, then you're, you pick every picking and choosing works for them out of his manifestos. But this kid's all over the place. So I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea what he is. He's, I know he's a nut but, and a violent nut at that. And that, that's, that's another story. But I have no idea what's actually this. I haven't spent all week reading every, every word for word every minute of the day. Maybe you have. So, but anyway, I think it's a bad, uh, it's a bad and people are using him for what they've been waiting for 18 months. So, so, but anyway, do you think the border was better when Trump left than it is now? Well, I mean, look, th- there was a huge influx in, ni- remember, in 2019. We've had these influxes before. I think we have been stuck, and I appreciate the call, Bill, and I appreciate you you, you being a listener. I hope you call back again. Uh, I think that we've had problems all along. I think that from an economic perspective, there was nothing that changed under uh, President Trump. We didn't fix anything. Now, you know, I to, I've said before that I'm the rare progressive that believes we should build a wall. I think it's – I don't think it's going to do all that much good, but I do think it helps move the debate. I think we've all got to show that we're willing to give a little bit. But did we solve the problems of the undocumented here? No. Did we solve the problem that when my brother who runs a restaurant is trying to check if someone's really here legally that he can't do it because we don't have a system set up? No. Did he change the, the problem that a lot of people are, are working, paying taxes, that have, have come here – and are really participating in the American dream, and yet we have no process to get them out of the shadows. And no, we haven't done any of that stuff. In, in a way, all we heard for years was the wall, the wall, the wall, the wall. And I'm saying that this is a much more complicated issue. But I can't let it go by, you know, just to say that 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 the, the shooter in Buffalo, he had this and he had that. No, this guy, he believed, he answered these questions very thoroughly. He believed in certain 
terrible racist things and about this whole notion of white replacement theory and everything else. And it's not a new thing. And I, and the one thing that's frustrated me about this conversation, it is perfectly okay to be a very conservative person and be, be anti-Biden and be anti-immigration and also say that what this guy did was terrible, racist, horrible, and he should be prosecuted. Uh, next, let's go to Wendy on the Upper West Side. Go ahead, Wendy. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. So I think when it comes to immigration, I think Americans in general are very generous and caring. But what we really don't like is chaos. So the immigration situation, it feels like chaos. And politicians have not addressed this chaos in a meaningful way for over 30 years, maybe maybe 40 years. And so that is where I think the palpable anger comes from, because people sit back and they watch this chaos and they see politicians not doing their job. And in our jobs, if we didn't solve the problem for 30 or 40 years, well, we would get fired. 100%. So I, I think it's really coming from that. Yes. Wendy, you you that's exactly if I'm going to pull one call to replay next week and maybe the week after that would be it. Look, you're exactly right. But something that you've got to keep in mind, it is in the interest of some political players that this continue to be the same. There are some issues that people like so much because it benefits them so much that chaos is what they want. So this is where the Title 42 thing comes in. Title 42 has not really solved any problem. It's just added to more chaos. Now you've got this crazy situation where where mostly unaccompanied men are coming under Title 42. They are taken, put on a bus, taken to taken back to the border and dumped into Mexico and and they come back and they try again and again and again because this isn't an this is not an immigration crime they're committing it's a health crime that they're committing and so they don't have any there's no real sanction that's the the point that i'm making about immigration is that is that if people want to make an issue out of this and there's no doubt about it it's a red hot issue that cuts very well for republicans if they want to make an issue of it they want the status quo if you want to solve the problem wendy me, the other callers that call into this show who are looking for solutions, we can come up with it. I laid it out a couple of weeks ago. The common sense middle on this, and we're talking about immigration right now, is very simple. Oh, that's not very simple to say. Thirteen and a half million people are here that are undocumented. We can't find them. We're not going to go arrest all of them. We'll never find them. Of those 13 and a half million, a lot of them are paying taxes. They're paying payroll taxes. They're paying Social Security taxes. They've got fake Social Security numbers. They're sending their kids to school. They've learned English. They're participating in the economy. They're giving, not taking. If we can figure out and say to them, here's your temporary worker ID card. Pay a fine for coming in this way. You get at the end of the line for citizenship, not the front. Anyone who doesn't show up and come out of the shadows and take that ID card from us. And by the way, if you're an employer, you've got to find you. If, if an employee comes in, doesn't have that temporary worker card, you and you hire them, you're a criminal. And then anyone who doesn't show up, let's say it's 500,000 of those or maybe 600,000. We go and treat them like the people that we need to go and catch. As far as the border is concerned, yes, build a wall. Hire more administrative officers. They don't all have to be judges. That's a myth. They don't all have to be expensive judges, administrative officers. If you come in at the border and you claim asylum, a quick process to either say you're worthy of it or you're not. And if you're not, we turn you around within weeks, not within years or, or, or beyond that. After that, what we do is we say as a country, you know, we, we have a process that if you apply – and you wait your turn, we're going to get to you quickly. We're not going to make you wait years and years and years and years. And if there are people that want to come in and work seasonally, want to come pick strawberries, want to come pick almonds, 
And you will have a temporary worker program like we've had in the past that lets you not only come in, lets you leave. Right now, our immigration laws are keeping people in, not out. And the other thing to do is what the gentleman who called earlier said to do. Don't show up at our border. You want to make an application? You think you, you're ready to be an American? In that case, you go apply in your home country and wait there. Don't get in a dangerous caravan. Don't take your children with you. Don't show up at the border unannounced. Do it that way. Now, that's the broad outline. That's the solution. That's the thing that I think that Wendy wants to see, like real answers to this problem. But make no mistake about it. There are politicians who have made the chaos of immigration part of why they exist and they want it to exist. This is hurting President Biden. No doubt about it. It's hurting Democrats. No doubt about it. So what is the incentive on the Republicans to go try to fix this problem? None. They like it. But if we, the citizens, say we don't like it and we're going to throw people out who are at the fringe and we're going to try to find the common sense middle like John Katsimatidis talks about on this network all the time, then we can solve these problems. Um, next, let's go to Marvin in the city. Marvin, thank you for holding on. I appreciate your call. Uh, yeah, um, this is Marvin, New York City. I'm 91 years old. And uh, you're talking about uh, Jews coming into America. Well, 25 years ago, I did a show on Channel 21, a laugh, a tear, a mitzvah. Everybody should get that show. If you turn to Channel 121 right now where they should be playing something like that, you'll see a cooking show. But if you really want to know how the Jews came to America, a laugh, a tear, a mitzvah. It's an old show. But a wonderful program to to show uh, you how the Jews came into a America. Laugh, a, a laugh, a tear, and a mitzvah. Everyone should go get that. Marvin in New York City recommends it. And uh, he's going strong at 91. I'm glad you're listening, Marvin. Call us again soon. Um, next, we'll go to Steve in Central Jersey. Steve, thank you for holding on. Hi, Anthony. Uh, let me just uh, offer a comment here on the gentleman last week. I don't think we're headed for a civil war. That's good news. Uh, and by the, the gentleman, the excuse me, the guy, the alleged shooter in Buffalo, uh, he is not a patriotic American. He is an evildoer. Justice be swift and let him be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Having said that, what runs your party today, I want to make this clear, and this is where this gentleman was coming from a week ago, is a radical left. Let's call them what they are, supporters of a communist ideology. Anthony, there is no... Unlike you, I think you are a bit of a left-of-center Democrat. There's room for compromise between you and me. There is no... Com a patriotic American like me, there's no compromising with that, Anthony. All right, so if they're going to come and try to take away my right to live in freedom, yes, we're going to have to fight. What do you say to that? Now, that, that's where your party's at. They position themselves firmly on the left, and they want to take them away, my right to live in freedom. What do you say to that? Well, I, we appreciate, that? I appreciate, Steve, and I appreciate the spirit that you're asking the question. I appreciate you being a listener. Um, look, here's what I would say. I would say, first of all, the, to say that, that, that the Democratic Party is enthralled to its far left, it's true that there's a, there is a very vibrant left-wing progressive wing, but they keep losing elections. I mean, Joe Biden was chosen against a whole field of people like that. Um, Bernie Sanders did not defeat Hillary Clinton, got squashed by her. Uh, just the other day um, in, in the primaries around the country, the, sure, we had some some far left candidates win. But if anything, there are pr probably a much stronger energy on the far right of the Republican Party. But the governing center, I believe, is still the same in our country. No one is coming. No one's no one's dragging the Democratic Party into socialism because, frankly speaking, we would lose too many elections that way. 
Now, it does not say that that is not a talking point that I hear from the Republicans a lot. It's not, it, I mean, just the same way you hear Democrats refer to the insurrectionists on, on January 6th, I don't think that represents the heart of the Republican Party either. Those elements do exist today, and I think they have much too big a megaphone on stations like ours. I don't think they represent, and I've said this a hundred times about this program, I am of the thesis that there's 10 on the left, 10 on the right. But that the overwhelming number of people who listen to the station, who think about politics, are people that have a clear partisan bent like Steve does and that I do, but are people that who could, if we sat down on a table over a sandwich and, and, and a beer, I mean I don't drink, but over a sandwich and a drink, we would be able to solve some of these problems because we, have, we, have, we understand the nature of this country is compromised. So I think that it's exaggerated and I want to just remind all of you before we go to the break – that there is a reason why both parties exaggerate the power of the fringes on the other side. That's where the boogeymen are. The boogeyman is the AOCs. The boogeyman is the January 6th insurrectionists. Yes, they both exist and we should deal with them both. Not that they're equivalent. I would much rather have someone saying they support single-payer single payer health care than, than, than striking a police officer on the steps of the Capitol. But the point is the same. We use these boogeymen because they're in our interest politically. Here on WABC, we try to push that off, and we try to talk about the issues. As we go to a break, when we come back, we're going to have Curtis Lee at the top of the hour. We're going to have a few more minutes talking about immigration. Some great calls have come in already. It's a great conversation that we're having. Join us on the other side. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is Left versus Right. Great to have you with us. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. And welcome back to Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. Curtis is coming in at the top of the hour. We're going to have some fun and uh, talk about some of the issues around the city. If you'd like to join in, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, or wabcradio.com, all around the globe. So we're going to try to knock out some um, some calls here. It's really great to have you along. We're having a conversation about immigration and what's great about our country. Uh, Margie on the Upper West Side. Go ahead, Margie. Thank you for joining us. For you. Hi, Margie. I'm good. Um, I just wanted to compliment you. I'm, I'm a Republican, not a Democrat, but I'm enjoying you, listening to you very much. I think you make a lot more sense than some of the other talk show hosts. And I hope that Mr. Katsimatidis sees, sees right to give you your own show someday because you deserve it. Oh, that's, that's very nice of you, Margie, being a Republican on the Upper West Side. You're, uh, you're getting it from all sides, but I appreciate you being a listener here. I, uh, I appreciate you joining in. Uh, next, let's go to Mary in Pennsylvania. Mary, how are you? Hey, how are you, Anthony? I'm good, Mary. So I have to say, in the beginning, I was like, you know, I'm not going to be a fan of you because I'm a conservative. Today, you won me over. Why, in God's name, they didn't listen to you or Congress, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I, I want to tell you, first of all, Mary, it's very kind of you to say, but I mean, look, my experience in Congress was that there's so many incentives on elected officials once you get there to be concerned about getting primaried by your left or your right, if you're a Democrat or Republican, that there's not a lot of reward for being someone who tries to find the middle ground. I'll give you an example. When you walk down the street, hardly anyone comes up to you when you're a politician and says, hey, congressman, do me a favor, go compromise on immigration. 
They don't say that. They don't say, hey, do me a favor, go compromise on privatizing Social Security or something like that. There's not a lot of incentive to do it. But what used to be back in the day, and I worked on Capitol Hill in the 80s, and thanks for joining us, Mary. Back in the in the Capitol Hill in the 80s, before the age of, I don't know what it is, shout, I don't know. I don't know what's different. But it used to be that people would go do their campaigning. And then they would go to Washington, quietly get together and try to do the right thing. And there was such an important center of gravity behind doing it that compromise got made. It's getting harder and harder for that to happen. Um, next is uh, Andrew in Suffolk. Andrew, thank you so much. I'm sorry to keep you holding so long. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, Anthony. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, a lot of the problem is not the American people. A lot of the problem are those in government. And let me, as far as division in the country, back to when Reagan was president, he was very conservative and far right. Tip O'Neill was quite liberal. Somehow they managed to have a, you know, the proverbial glass of scotch and compromise. How, how can we have a good discourse when there are people like Maxine Waters promoting what she was promoting? How can we have a good discourse than, than what we witnessed in, in the summer of 2020? The, the Congress has to be the problem solvers, not the problem causers. And for, to even try to think about how the far left could be unhappy with Biden, I don't know, because he's done everything they've asked for. You know, and he would sign anything that they put on his desk. So what are they so angry about? Well, I appreciate it. And Andrew, you've, you've touched on, you've touched on a really important thing. You know, I, I was happened to work on Capitol Hill for my predecessor, Chuck Schumer, in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was the president and when Tip O'Neill was the speaker. And it is true. There used to be a, a, a benefit that you would get if you would sit down to try to solve the nation's problems. And today, the partisanship that exists, not just across parties, but within each party, and I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago about Twitter, the pressure to be pure on the left, pure on the right in the eyes of those fringes is profound. The fact is, though, that that at least on the Democratic side, I mean, Joe Biden was not, he's never been that guy. But And when he ran in the primaries, he ran to the right of the rest of the field. But this is a problem in both parties, Andrew. You cannot simply point out the Maxine Waters or the AOCs and not point out the fact that there was literally an insurrection on the left of people who are still today are trying to overturn the election that was of the American people. Well, listen, this has been an amazing conversation. This is exactly what I hoped for when I asked John Katsimatidis and he gave permission for me to kind of come on here and have some of these conversations. This is Common Sense Left and Common Sense Right. We're going to be joined by the Common Sense Man in a Red Beret after the break, Curtis Lewa, here on Left versus Right when we get back. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner.
It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight Slugfest. You know, this group is here. Is this, Anthony, is, is this Notorious B.I.G.? No, Notorious B.I.G. It's not on what would have been his 50th birthday. This is the great Steppenwolf. They never really got all the credit that they were due. They had some really classic hits. Uh-huh. But when you hear people talking about oh, the Who, okay, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, you almost never hear them mention Steppenwolf. True. Not at all. But this does not strike me as your style of music. No, this was fine. No, I, I went through my Led Zeppelin phase, a big Who phase when I was growing up. But, you know, I'm in, I'm in 2022. It's the 50th anniversary of Tears B.I.G. I also, my, the stuff that I've been using, and you've been very kind to let me kind of take over that first hour to try to learn the, my craft. I like kind of more of a acoustic, jingly kind of entry and to kind of welcome people in. You want to screech people in, wake them up. I think it comes from your lineage of being one of the most listened to overnight radio hosts that you yeah. you don't realize we're awake. We're uh, awake yeah, here. but I, I don't want anybody going to sleep. <laughs> I've had actually people fall asleep on me. They made a promo about Eileen and Queen snoring. <laughs> I mean, pulling the wallpaper off the wall, she was snoring so hard. Another guy, Juan from Boston, likewise. They couldn't be more apologetic later on, but I said, I don't ever want to be again considered the uh, rationale and reason why somebody would fall asleep in the you know, wee hours in the morning. You know, it's funny. You know, uh, Huma's been promoting her book, and she just came back from um, from the Maldives. I'm not, I'm not sure where that is. Jordan knows. He pointed it out to me on a globe. What and is she's, that, down in India? It is. Uh, well, yeah. the, I, think it's in, I think it's in the Indian Ocean. Anyway, she uh, took a long time for her to get back. She's got terrible jet lag, and I'm Googling, like, sleep aids or whatever. It didn't even occur to me. That just right in front of my nose. It's just it's just listen to Curtis Lee for oh, yeah. 15 minutes. You'll be out like a light. That's my mission. Uh, once again, I'll start that process uh, tonight, 12 midnight to 6. Keep people so wired up they can't sleep in those six hours. And then they walk around Stangat all day long like <laughs> zombies, especially in this sweltering heat where the Altacacas are schwitzing. Uh, you're going to schwitz out there when you uh, start heading home. I've already schwitzed with my red sateen jacket on. I had to take that off. And tomorrow is the ultimate test, the annual Israel Day Parade up Fifth Avenue. They haven't done it in two years because of the lockdown and pandemic. But in this kind of heat, will the Altacacas come out? Because they love to show their support for Israel. You used to be a fixture in that parade. We're in it each and every year. I'm the Guardian Angels. And the crowds are massive. Closer towards the end than the beginning. Again, we've discussed this. The politicians, they just want to rush through in the beginning. Very few people out there. They need to wait towards the end till about 3 o'clock. And then it's massive on both sides. Yeah. So, so, you know, we we talked about today, you know, Jordan plays hockey at Chelsea Piers between 10 and 11.20. And so on the way back, and his grandfather came to watch. And so I drove today. didn't take mass transit. And we got caught. I think it was on University or Lower Broadway all the way down from, I guess it was about 23rd Street going south. I, the, the parade was, for, for, I, I don't even know what it was, but the season has begun. To get around the city now, we are fully into 
parade season. And people are out there in their flip-flops and their T-shirts. We, we flat-skipped spring. We're not, we didn't do spring. We're just going to go straight into summer. Um, and as I pointed out before you got here, the Mets were snowed out last night, just in case you were wondering. In Sm- Denver, right? In snowed out in Denver. Denver. So snowed out there. <laughs> <laughs> Meantime, the hot schwitz here. You don't have to go to a schwitz. No, you don't have to have somebody hitting you with right. leaves. You know, you just the Russian bats on East Tenth. You don't have to go there. You got no. Go on the subway. You just schwitz in the subway. You know, it's a, a little less than three dollars for one ride. Right? It's a, a lot more convenient than that. Except you got to put up with everything else. Now, the story of the day. Anthony, I've been warning you and everybody else about this. Ever since I jumped in to run for the mayoralty, won the Republican primary, I was getting inclinations that Eric Adams, as he was raising a massive amounts of money, because he had to, because his competitors in the Democratic side were also raising a lot of money. PAC groups, Andrew Yang had massive money. So they were all going around because they didn't want to get crushed simply because they didn't have enough money. But he was sort of planting the seeds at some of these meetings. This is during the Democratic primary. I got a 10-year plan to become president of the United States, 10-year plan. So naturally, I would tell people, hey, the guy's already running for president, 10-year plan. Then in the general campaign, he made a swing through the Hamptons, and this is when Biden was beginning to show physical signs and maybe he couldn't go for another four years. And the 10 years was truncated to four years. I got the four-year plan, and people were bragging about it. And now we see in two stories today, Politico and the New York Post, that clearly there are people talking about him running for the presidency. In 2024, uh, he has made contacts with Nancy Pelosi and the despised, loathed Congressman Maloney in charge of raising money for Democratic candidates all over the country. And apparently he was a guest presenter last week, and he laid out the plan of what it's going to take for a Democrat to win the presidential election in 2024. And he got a lot of rave reviews from Democrats and insiders. And, you know, these are Eric Adams people are already saying, oh, yeah, it's a possibility. could be. And I'm saying to myself, the swagger man has no plan to get this city back up and running. The crime is off the hook. Teenagers getting shot and killed all over the place. And he's already dancing with the idea of being president on Pennsylvania Avenue. Doesn't he learn from de Blasio that that is like uh, the kiss of death? As mayor of the city of New York, you're going to run for the presidency of the United States? Does he not realize what happened to de Blasio in those four and a half uh, months where he was out there talking to corn stalks? He was at fish fries in South Carolina, in casinos in Vegas, and he went nowhere? You know, Curtis, you are like a pyromaniac at a straw man factory. Like you're setting up this idea – that he's running for president so you can knock it down. Look, I'll read you what the headline of Politico says. National Dems are calling in a new communications expert, Eric Adams. What he is doing is what mayors have always done in New York City. You become a de facto spokesman for the Democratic Party because you are running a big city. He's not running for president anytime soon. And by the way, even if he were, what would a president, if he was going to run for president, what would he be doing? Bringing down crime? Lowering taxes, getting our economy back open, fixing our health care system here in New York, showing that the trains are running on time, literally and figuratively. Those are all good things for New Yorkers. So if he wants to go be ambitious, the way to be ambitious is not to have high crime, not to have 8% of office space occupied. I mentioned before you got here, my brother's restaurant is closing after 15 years, like so many businesses are. Wow. I want to tell you something. 
if he wants to run for president, the way you do it in this in this in this day and age is to do a really good job in your present in your present. And then it creates a vacancy. And then it's it's a it's an open election. Sliwa versus Wiener. We won't have to declare party. It's an open election. We can we can take this show all around the city. But I am not concerned about him. He's not going to run. If I mean, look, if it looks like the president's going to like uh, president's going to run in a couple of years for reelection. If he doesn't, I can count on one hand for people who would be able to put it together to be able to take over. For well, him. let me tell you something. I'm not going to reveal it right now, but I have the inside information. You got to stay up till 12 midnight tonight. I'm going to reveal to you the actual fundraiser he attended in Los Angeles that no reporter has written about. I don't understand why. Because sometimes they give him cover. But it was clearly for his run for the presidency. Clearly in Los Angeles. Remember he said, oh, I missed the red-eye flight coming back. I remember back. that, yeah. Now, Anthony, you've been on the West Coast. I've been on the West Coast many times. There's so many red-eye flights. You miss one Delta. You catch another one America. Or you fly to Chicago and then catch a connecting flight from Chicago O'Hare to New York. So that was all bull feathers. Tonight, I reveal where the fundraiser was, who hosted it. And the fact that the theme was Eric Adams for president of the United States. All right. Look, I, I mean, there is nothing that, that that pundits and commentators and talk show hosts like to do more than speculate on what the next race is going to be. Eric Adams seems from every indication to be focused on this one. But also he likes the idea. But he, within weeks of him being um, being elected – he spoke about being the new voice of the Democratic Party, the new face of the Democratic Party. I, look, it would not be the way I would proceed. I would be here in the five boroughs every day for the first couple of years at least. But if he's ambitious, bring down crime. If he's ambitious, get the city reopened. Well, that route has been taken before. If you remember, then-Governor Bill Clinton in Arkansas was considered the moderate voice. He didn't say it. Others began to write about and say, oh, you got to pay attention to this guy in Little Rock, Arkansas. He lost his reelection. Remember when the Mariolitos, the boat people that were being stored at the uh, the uh, federal detention facility in Little Rock rioted. Remember, they set it on fire. That was during Jimmy Carter's years. So he lost only to come back to win again. And journalists began saying, yeah, the Democratic Party has moved too far to the left. They may need to have a moderate voice like Bill Clinton. And he really rode that to victory in the Democratic primary because, as you know, with all of his uh, uh, fallback situations as a result of his relationship with Hillary at that time, it was that moderate position that kept a lot of the Democrats focused. And he rode it to victory in the election that, if you remember at first, it looked like Ross Perot might pull an upset. He was ahead in all the polls, except the crackpot ended up coming unglued. Bush 41 was too busy looking at his watch at the debates, and Bill Clinton sailed into victory. Yeah, no, that's frankly, that was the part that was the part of the new moderation, the new version of the Democratic Party. Now it's old. As a matter of fact, they, they were called New Democrats at the time, that group that came in, the kind of the, the Bill Clinton tough on crime, low taxes. It's the economy, stupid Democrats that came in now. Where Eric Adams is positioning himself, if indeed he wants to be some a national figure, he's got to be a tough on crime Democrat. If you want to be appealing nationwide, but the problem is, and we took some calls in the last hour about this, and you hear it all the time on on seventy seven WABC, this whole idea that the the Democratic Party is enthralled to its left in the same way that the Republican Party is enthralled to its right. 
Where is Eric Adams right now? I would say Eric Adams is kind of a centrist in, in New York City politics, right? I mean, he's a police officer. He's saying that I, I want to bring back some version of stop and frisk. He's saying he wants to get rid of no cash bail, et cetera. But as on the national scene, he, he doesn't have any identity yet at all. I don't think we're going to be talking about him running for anything at all until at least at his, after his, his first term. Well, Anthony, uh, if you're not stunned God tonight, if you haven't collapsed uh, from the heat outside, you got to be listening at 12 midnight because I'll be revealing what no reporter has revealed. Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. After he came back from Hollywood where he was Hollywood swinging, I mean, that's his theme song by Cool in the Gang. They didn't bring it up any longer. It's like the first week he was back, they brought it up because there were some horrific crime figures. And it was that Quinnipiac poll that for the first time said that people may be turning on him because they didn't feel he was getting enough results in battling crime. Then they have, you know, typical fashion, a lot of reporters, they're just on to the next headline, the next headline. And it may be because they don't have enough staffing now. They have to file multiple stories every day. I saw that in the campaign, unlike years ago when you were running where they might have a dedicated reporter to you and you alone while you are running, and your adversaries. They don't really have that any longer because they are short-staffed. But I got to tell you, this was not a difficult person to find. He posted the information himself. He posted it himself. <laughs> but, the, but, you know, the other thing is another reason why these stories don't have much legs is, you know, politician being ambitious is like dog bites man. I mean, th- yes – He's an ambitious politician. Therefore, what? I think people kind of, you know, when people would would say, oh, you're a city councilman, you're running for Congress. Oh, my God, you're not even committed to filling your full term. No, I'm committed to do it, to doing this job as well as I can do it. If I can do it for a city of eight and a half million people or I can do it for a country of 300 million people. I don't think it's a news story. I I think that what is a problem is if he is like Ala Bill de Blasio, who may come up later in this conversation, if he seems to be off doing things while New Yorkers are suffering with the challenges of their everyday lives, then it becomes a problem. I'll tell you what his real Achilles heel is going to be. It's not crime. It's not public safety. It's not quality of life. It's not getting the city back uh, to where workers are back in the office buildings. It's the way he's married these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers. You know, he's advocating no regulations for cryptocurrency. City workers should be paid in cryptocurrency. He's refu- he's received the first few of his paychecks uh, in Bitcoin, uh, which is crashing and burning everywhere. You know, it's one big Ponzi scheme. The Mayor Suarez, the Republican in Miami, same thing. He's invested city funds in cryptocurrency. It's crashing. The president in El Salvador, you know, young, virulent president, he wants to be the crypto king of the world. His finances are crashing, and the media is not really putting Wait the question. First of all, there's no the, – the city employees are not getting paid in cryptocurrency. But Eric Adams said he wanted them to. Eric Adams said he wanted to give people the opportunity if they chose to be. That's not going to happen. The, uh, the, 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 our, city, our city funds are not invested in cryptocurrency. The reason why cryptocurrency is in the, is in the, the, the pooper right now is the same reason everything else in the market is, is because it's no longer – everyone has it a little bit in their portfolio no matter where they are. It's not, it's not a hedge. It's basically echoing the, the, the Fortune 500. That, you really think, is a liability? Yes. Mrs. Crapalucci on Avenue P does not care about cryptocurrency. You, he's trying to take the city down the path of the Ponzi scheme of cryptocurrency. It's going to come back to haunt him because he's getting a lot of money from these crypto uh, ripoff artists. It's a business. 
Yeah, cryptocurrency is a business like like a lot of hedge, like a lot of funds are, like it's a lot like of invested pump funds and are. dump scheme. You know, penny I don't know stock. If it's Look, junk I mean, bonds. It's it's no different than any other currency investment. Subprime that it has its, mortgages that it has its problems. But listen, all of these conversations are fine. You know, my solution to not losing money in these schemes is not having any money. That's kind of my solution. That's worked out very well. You know, we had a billionaire mayor. I'm like a hundred or a thousand uh, well, so I have nothing you, to worry about. You got me beat. Anyway, <laughs> up next, we got to talk about your old district which is now the new rejoin 10th Congressional District, a lot of it. And de Blasio has jumped in, and Mondia Jones has jumped in, and who knows who else will jump in. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the lemon. Oh, I see. Uh, you're a Biggie Smalls fan. It's his birthday. Anthony? It's his birthday. A New York institution. You know, who, who killed Biggie Smalls? He, he would have been 50. That's that's. I'm going to tune in at midnight for you to tell me. Let, let me tell you something. Because the code of the streets and the degenerate rappers are snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. They can't even find out who killed Biggie Smalls. But also. As they idealize him, here's a guy who is selling crack to pregnant women. Yes, th- this is a pro- this is a problem with hip hop culture, but it doesn't change the fact that he's an, a New York artist that would have been 50 today. An artiste, right? Yeah, who killed Biggie? Uh, I'm, I'm going to reveal tune in, to you who tune I in think. Between, no, tune I in between know. tune in re- between two thirty and two forty tonight. That's right. <laughs> Stay wired up. Red Bull yourself up. Don't do any of that cocaine in the clubs. Don't do that. But anyway. Let's discuss a district you know well. Uh, when all was said and done, when the federal judge said ixnay to the Democrats in Albany, the way they recut the map uh, for the next 10 years based on the census, and then they had the special master who uh, outlined the areas. Uh, they came up with a brand-new district in Brooklyn, the 10th Congressional District in Lower Manhattan. Gerald Nadler could have said, okay, that's part of my old district. I'll run in that district. And Kathleen Maloney, you got the Upper East Side and the Upper West Side. He said, no, I'm not going there. And so uh, yesterday, uh, Friday morning, on Mika and uh, uh, Coffee Joe on MSNBC, uh, the former mayor, Bill de Blasio, declared he was running in that district. And I see the early morning headlines here at WABC is that Mondaire Jones who was uh, Rockland County in that part, Westchester upstate, but his district would have been pushed either fr- even further north. Well, the head of the uh, DNC uh, fundraising uh, group for Congress people, uh, Maloney, said, oh, no, 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 I'm running in that district because it's more favorable to me. So Monday wasn't going to uh, run against Bowman, uh, who was uh, on the far left, who has his own district, so now he's decided he's going to use Greenwich Village as his base because he is openly gay. And he says he's going to run in the Democratic primary, which is getting very crowded as we speak. You know that area better than anybody, Anthony Weiner. Uh, what's your analysis? Well, first of all, I love all you know, we, I love how my Republican friends are all gleeful at this judicial intervention superseding the legislature. They're all. They're against activist judges, except in this case, because it made chaos for the Democrats. The Democrats had this districts drawn in the state in a way that had 
basically gotten it down to like five or six Republicans left in the state. So this district, which is below 14th Street in Manhattan, then going out through Sunset Park and then Brownstone, Brooklyn, going into Borough Park, was a good portion of Jerry Nadler's old district, even the Borough Park part. He's represented Borough Park for a very long time. I didn't. I had the neighboring district. Um, I mean, it's fascinating. I think that it's very interesting to me. Bill de Blasio announced he's running that district. It doesn't have an incumbent. We've got to remember something about Bill de Blasio. He lives in that district, but he was very unpopular among whites when he was mayor. And this is a very white district. I mean, it has Latino parts of lower Manhattan and Sunset Park. But if I don't, I have, I would be surprised. I mean, look, I don't know anything about the district. I think the very idea that he announced on MSNBC rather than coming on 77 or some local outlet or New York one or something and announcing it locally shows a little about where his head is. This Mondaire Jones piece is interesting. It's a congressman clear from another part of the state. He's going to say, I'm connected to this district, as you say, because I'm a, a person of color who's gay, and this includes Greenwich Village. Well, that's true of a lot of people in the district. What? Why would we need someone from Westchester and Rockland County? Maybe we'll get callers today who will tell us that he's hugely popular up there. I think that this is going to be, you know, you've got, I don't think there's going to be enough split among the left candidates to produce a moderate or a right-leaning candidate like Simcoe Felder, a state senator in Borough Park. But I do think this race is crying for kind of a common sense, middle of the road Democrat who's, you know, advocating for tough on crime, who understands the populist and the and the and the progressive positions, but doesn't seem to be beholden to anyone, anyone in particular. I think that not one of the big names is going to wind up being the congressman that gets elected there. And you asked me off the air. Yes, this is a district that I live in now, and my, my father still lives there. My mom said I grew up in Park Slope. It's got a lot of the neighborhoods that I represented in, in Congress, but I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to Congress today with a gun to my head. Uh, but I think it's funny that de Blasio thinks that he's popular. I think he'd have trouble getting elected to the city council in his home district right now. Wow. He needs to hear that. But, you know, you've dealt with enough politicals here impervious to that kind of uh, advice. He was thinking originally of running against Nicole Maliotakis, running in the Democratic primary against uh, Max Rose and also the Democratic Socialists of America candidate because the lines included Park Slope and Sunset Park uh, and uh, Gowanus area. But then that was redone, so that obviously was no longer well, what appealing. Did you, if, you're, if you were running in that district, wouldn't you kind of love to run against Bill de Blasio? Oh, absolutely. And would it, even as a Democrat, as a Democrat, because if you're progressive, you're like, dude, you didn't do any of those progressive things you said you were going to do. You were, you were in Iowa talking about them rather than doing them here. Um, if you're more, and I want to tell you something, people have to understand this. Progressives don't like crime. <laughs> They're tough on crime, too. They don't like crime. It's like this idea that only conservatives don't like crime. Progressives don't like crime either. And and then you've got another candidate who comes in who's a congressman for another part of the state. He's going to come and say, look at me. I'm a congressman. Hey, that's not exactly a great a great ad- advertisement for why you'd be good well, at, at I, anything. I, I right think now. a deal has been made. The Brooklyn County leader has already endorsed Bill de Blasio, yes. which means Kings County will throw its weight behind him. I wonder what Eric Adams will say. He owes a lot to Bill de Blasio. He probably would not be mayor now if de Blasio had not worked behind the scenes for him. Because remember, he went out and uh, he attacked uh, the two people who worked for him, uh, Maya and uh, Kathy Garcia, uh, and went after them and basically protected Eric and lobbied on his behalf for the unions. But I felt the most interesting thing in all of this, in all this Michigash, was here you had Richie Torres from the Bronx, 
gay Democratic congressman uh, attacking Maloney from the Mid-Hudson Valley, gay Democratic congressman, ally of Pelosi. He's in charge of raising money to keep Democrats elected and get new Democrats elected to the House. And Mondaire Jones, gay elected Democrats, attacking Maloney. And I said, could you have imagined in the year 2000 that we would even have three openly gay congressmen in our area, and then they would be going at each other claiming, well, that's kind of homophobic, you know. And I, Well, you can't use that term because Maloney is married to a guy with children. And now what do you say? I mean, look, the, the, this, all of this has been a very unusual scenario. What usually happens every 10 years, we do the census, we draw the lines, the legislature draws the lines back for, gener- for generations, for decades. It was Democrats and Republicans split Albany, and so they kind of came to an agreement. I'll sacrifice one of ours. You sacrifice one of yours. They came to an agreement on the lines. And what happened in this case is, you know, the the Democrats who control everything got a little bit greedy here. And rather than think that, okay, what might happen is the courts are going to come in and say you've gone too far, they went for the for the Hail Mary and it got intercepted. So, yes, it's created some very strange bedfellows. You've got you've got three gay representatives, three different ethnicities, one white guy, one African-American and one Latino in three different counties arguing with each other. And now one of them is going to jump from Westchester County into Sunset Park in order to run. Now, let me ask you about your mentor, the powerhouse of the Democratic Party, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer. That's also his backyard, that district. It's it's his district. He lives there. What is he going to do? You think he's just going to sit out a primary Yeah. Not give an endorsement. Because yeah, remember, I, he uh, he endorsed the socialist candidate for mayor after she won the Democratic primary against Byron Brown. Right, that's a little bit different. I mean, if you're the Democratic nominee, I'm sure he'll support you. It is. He doesn't usually get involved. I got to tell you, I, I had worked for him for six years when I ran for Congress against Melinda Katz. And he endorsed me, but he did it like uh, a, a week, wink and a nod. A, a week left in the race. I had to go print literature, not uh, like saying Schumer and Weiner, not knowing whether he was going to endorse me, since it was kind of. I say that's why I owe it to him he was because hedging his bet. Hey, Remember I, the polls were neck and neck. I know I you totally were winning Brooklyn. Plus, she was winning Queens. Plus, his very close friend Tom Anton was saying, "Don't do it. Don't don't get in there." And anyway, all that being said, I'm sure that's his district. Uh, you know, if I had to say, we, we let's come back, let's put a pin in the conversation about who he would vote for, knowing, like knowing Chuck, who he would want is a is a tougher story. Um, but I think he, you know, he would probably just let it all play out. It's going to be chaotic around the state. I don't think he's going to be getting involved in races unless Mondaire Jones moving part of the machinations. The deal was, all right, we will round up. The biggest figures, the money, whatever it is, so you don't have since since Sean Patrick Maloney has done what he's done. But this is a mess for Democrats. And by the way, it's our last gasp of of holding on to control of the House was that New York successfully gerrymandered every last well, Republican. Minute, Anthony, you saw the lines; they were greedy. They were greedy. Some of these lines look like a Rorschach test. These these lines look <laughs> these lines look as the Democratic version of Florida. The Democratic version of Texas. Yes, this is the way politicians, when they're in charge, do it. This reminds me of the time you mentioned Chuck Schumer. His uh, potential adversary was Stephen Solars. And remember, there was um, reapportionment at that time, so they drew new lines. Mm -hmm. But they wanted a Hispanic Latina, Nidia Velasquez. So they crafted a district which, if you followed the lines went into almost every conceivable Hispanic district in Brooklyn, and you said, 
that's not possible. But it was crafted specifically to make sure she would beat the sitting congressman, a very powerful guy, Stephen Solars. Well, yes and no. They drew that district to be the Latino district. Solars jumped from his district into that one because it was an open race. Try to teach himself Spanish because he was basically left without. You know, my my district, Chuck Schumer's whole district, people say, oh, my God, it's gerrymandered of all these Jewish communities and middle class communities of, of Rockaway. And in the and I'll say, no, it was gerrymandered in reverse. What happens is that under the Voting Rights Act, they draw the, the, the districts of color first and then kind of like, you know, going to a tailor and the scraps that are left on the floor, you piece together. Now, a let me ask you this. You mentioned Stephen Solars uh, was consumed in learning Spanish. Yet Michael Bloomberg did exactly the same thing, Al Gore and Bush 43. Who spoke Spanish better, Stephen Solars, Bloomberg, Gore, or Bush well, 43? Bush wasn't bad. Bush was actually, because I think he, he grew up speaking it around the, I mean, to a certain degree around the house. Solars was terrible at it. Bloombergito oh. is, Bloombergito was, was funny. Like he, he, I actually, when I was getting ready to run in 2009, I started, you know, taking some classes, um, I, you know, I've always been of two minds of that. On one hand, I think that people honor you for trying. I think they like the idea that you're making, that you're trying. But it walks right up to the line of pandering, right up to the line, you know. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. But I don't think that that was the least of Steve Solar's problem. The other problem that Steve Solar's had was that he was a guy who's, who had made his career being a leader in foreign relations and foreign affairs, constantly traveling all over. And I remember when we on the, in the Schumer office, when we were getting ready, thinking that there might be a primary against Steve Solars, there was a, um, a picture from a Turkish newspaper when he visited Turkey, where he's sitting in a Turkish bath wearing towels. And he says, and his quote was, I am now the cleanest American. And it was just this ridiculous, unflattering picture. <laughs> so Steve Solars had bigger problems than his inability to speak he Spanish. He was in a Turkish schmitz. But anyway, up next, you're not going to want to miss it. It's uh, the governor, Kathy Hochul who has said that white supremacy is the biggest problem America faces, even more so than Vladimir Putin. With Anthony uh, Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lee, on this, a day in which you're going to be schwitzing outdoors. And watch your electricity bills go up and up and up and up as this heat wave continues. And if you don't know... Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. You know, this is... Anthony Weiner. This is Neil Young. Well, they let him across the border into America. This is what we asked. Neil Young solo. Absolutely a dynamic song from some, a guy who was no lover of America, I might add. Neil Young. Very similar to Springsteen, you know, born in the USA. We're not. These are not patriotic songs, but everyone, yeah, yeah. <sighs> he's a, he's a, a, a critic, but yeah, I, I like Neil Young. Oh, I love Neil Young. Love Neil. Love Joni. Joni Mitchell, who was the sidekick of almost everybody on Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Love Joni Mitchell. She actually rocks a red beret now. Does she? She rocks a red beret is now. Honor, is she an honorary member? Does she, when, when she comes to New York, do you have her p- p- patrolling the Junction Boulevard station? No, no she's beyond <laughs> that. But let's discuss a person who is reinvigorated, new life to her step, her campaign, 
She's out front on the uh, issue of what happened while we were on the air last Saturday at approximately 2.30, 18-year-old who had been planning this attack for months. He had a 180-page manifesto that he had posted like it was in a garage and then just hours before he does his dastardly deed to shoot and kill as many African-Americans as possible, he reveals it, he live streams it, uh, he eventually is caught after uh, killing 10, uh, injuring 3. And the entire discussion now is almost about white supremacy, because clearly he was. He hated blacks, he hated Jews. You could go through the, all of his postings and see, although... Well, odd eccentricities here is that apparently his best friend in the town that he lived in outside of Binghamton, town of 5,000, was a Hispanic with a black girlfriend that he used to go hang out with all the time and play video games. And they said, but he never played shoot 'em up video games. So certain things that didn't necessarily fit the narrative, but stone cold, racist, white supremacist, whole nine yards. Kathy Hochul, though, as governor who wants to be elected governor, is saying what some Democrats have said, that white supremacy, our president has said it, is the biggest danger to America. She actually put it in reference to Putin, says it's more dangerous to America than Vladimir Putin. Your response. Well, this is also the F- what is the FBI has said, and the Trump FBI has said this. Th- this is, this in terms of the threat to our homeland, the threat to our citizens, I mean, for as much as we care about Ukraine and much as we want to be supportive there, it's not a Russian getting off a plane and coming into a, a supermarket in Buffalo and shooting up people of color. I One of the things that I'm really puzzled by is why there is – you know, there's nothing wrong with saying that this problem of white supremacy is a big – problem and still being a conservative person. I don't, you know, I don't understand why I'm sometimes hearing, I'm hearing a lot of yes, but on, on the airwaves, like, oh yes, but look at all these other things that are going on. I mean, why can't we just say this is a real problem? The way that this is spreading, the way this white replacement theory is spreading, the way that these documents are going now from place to place. This guy cut and pasted the manifesto of the Christchurch shooter. This is the same exact stuff. This is the same exact document, base document in all of this that was used um, as the rationale for the Oklahoma City bomber. This is a giant problem. And, I, and one of the points that I made earlier in the program was that we have to be careful because we sometimes let the language of civil war and everything else leak into our political conversations. When you have a kid who is easily influenced and is on the Internet and like, you know, you gave me a little bit of grief. You said, you know, none of our listeners uh, 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 read Twitter. Well, look, social media is a real problem. There are twelve or fifteen people that he that were on the that were on a live stream watching this kid do it. Now, over a million people have seen the video worldwide because they can't figure out a way to stop it from spreading. This is a real problem. Now, you can say it's hyperbolic to say it's bigger than this or bigger than that, but I think it's the number one domestic challenge that we have, isn't it? Well. How how do you say that? I look at the guy in Milwaukee, Brooks, had the same kind of manifesto, the same kind of postings. He hated whites. He hated Jews. He had been posting for years. And then in the aftermath of Kyle Rittenhouse, he gets in his U.S. Uh, SUV, goes into Waukesha, the annual Christmas Day Parade, and mows down as many white people as he could. No, I'm not saying that there are not problems elsewhere. I'm saying that white, that, that white supremacy is used as the rationale for a great deal of violence in this country, according to the FBI 
in the Trump administration, in the Biden administration. But where are all the for- arrests? I mean, you would think they'd be parading white supremacists every other week or every other month to make that point. We have embedded ourselves. We now have information that they were trying to do harm to people of color, to Jews, whatever. I don't see it's these a leg- arrests. It's a, leg- it's a legitimate problem. That's part of what I was trying to explain that, that, that you know, this, the way this is in this insidious thing spreads in social media, that the social media companies are unable to kind of get a handle on it. And the way I think too many in mainstream conversations kind of seem to be nodding and winking to these forces. We have to say, they look, we are not in a civil war right now. There's not bad guys and good guys. We disagree with the other side, but we don't hate them and want them dead. And this whole notion, hey, look, I mean, look, some of it is just a function of what's happening. We are going to be a, minor, a majority minority country in this country, even if we have no more immigration coming in for 15 years. It's still going to happen. Right now, about 60 percent of all the people who are under the age of 18 are people of color. So this whole idea is going to get more and more momentum. And we have to do something to stop it from spreading and to be more aware that it's happening. We can't have right, but let's, some, we let's can't have some in the case. political debate. We can't have some in the political debate says, yes, but what about that guy over there who's doing something too? Yeah, we can do All both. Right. But how do, both. You, how do you do that? Because I'm looking at what he did. So far, he's a lone wolf. He has not been communicating with other groups or other websites. He had his own – imagine you're building your own website. It's housed. Nobody knows what's going on. You're the only one. You're building it, building it. And then one day you open it up for the general public. This is what he did at the very end. This 180 page manifesto was housed on this website. Only he had access to it. Now, should the social networking companies who provide you access, should they be able to view what you're building, your websites or what you intend on posting? Should they be filtering that? You see, I always ask, well, what would you do in this case? It's not like he was public about this. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that what the the, the problem that we have today is that it's too easy to share both this information, violent information, illegal information. It's too easy to share it right now. And what I would say that you do is, first of all, this was not, in my view, a hugely difficult technological thing to do. What we're trying to figure out is a way to stop this guy from live screaming a mass murderer. And they, they weren't able to do it. And this guy was on Discord talking about this. He was on Twitch talking about this. Yes, he had his own website. But what about how easily it is that this document, this manifesto document, is moving from place to place and getting cut but and pasted? Look, Mein Kampf is still available. You wouldn't ban Mein Kampf, would you? No, but this is a different – this is, is, is quite a different thing from a historical document. But the point remains – that the way that it used to spread, if you had something that was truly pernicious, someone had instructions on how to build a bomb in their backyard. They had a photocopy and bring it to a gun show and sell it for $10 on a table. Well, you yeah, had the anarchist cookbook, which was right. available in all bookstores. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, and, and now you no longer have that. Now it's like it can, it's bouncing all around the Internet. And you have it even more compounded that a young, a young man, and by the way, this is a problem, young boys, and maybe, you know, his family was blaming it on COVID and whatever it is. And in his own writings, he said that I didn't, I wasn't influenced by a particular person. I was influenced by the internet, quote unquote. And these writings, I found them and then I cut and pasted them and made them my own and went into a supermarket. That's a problem. I don't think, I think what Kathy Hochul was saying is saying the danger, immediate danger to the people of the state of New York of that kind of behavior is obviously greater right, but than I would others. have liked to have seen the same kind of reaction when we saw all those rantings and ravings of the subway gunman Frank James. It was YouTube. I watched hours of it. 
There's four hours of my life I'll never get back, Anthony Weiner. I know. I recall that you were you were telling me details about what right. was in there. Oh, my God. But anyway, he, although he hated more than just white people and Jewish people, he seemed to hate a lot of people universally. But that guy that I mentioned, Brooks, was very clear. He hated whites, he hated Jews, and he went out and he yeah, killed there, but there's there. I, I get that there are going to be people that have hateful ideologies, and there might even be people that use that use violence to behind those things that resort to violence but if you have people relying upon the same philosophy the same questions the same documents that are going out and doing these things i'm not saying there are not other problems this is why i don't understand this conversation why do we have to say yes but what about why can't we just say full stop kathy hochel's right this is a giant problem i'm interested in what you would do because it affects first amendment rights free speech posting things where do you draw the line then there's also gun control we find out that as a 16-year-old uh, boy, his father gives him his first gun legally. It's a rite of passage in some parts of the state. You've been into some parts of the state where people have guns. Uh, then at 18, he legally goes to Endicott, New York, and at a gun antique sh- uh, uh, store, buys a Bushmaster legally. He's got no, goes to the background check. Goes across the border in Pennsylvania, buys a shotgun legally, shows all of his documentation, passes the background check. Then he begins to alter the Bushmaster, and that's where he's breaking the law. But what do you do? Do you un, do you suddenly change all those rules? There's a whole portion of New York State that lives like a lot of the rest of the country, where people get guns at a, a young age, boys and girls, not just uh, boys. And they're not going out and doing crazy things. They, they're not in high-crime areas. Yes, they do have people who... Uh, unfortunately, go out there and do really bad things when they have access to a gun. But we have more problems in New York City with people who get their hands on illegal guns than the discussion that's taking place now with the United States Supreme Court allows for carry permits. Uh, I don't know if it'll be concealed or open, whatever. It looks like it's going in that direction. And our mayor is more worried about that than he is about all these teenagers shooting up each other in the streets of the city with illegal handguns. Well, no, I think, first of all, there's, there's been more arrests recently for illegal handguns. Arrests are up. I think that you can be concerned about both things. I don't think denying this kid in Buffalo a gun, if by the time he was in the market to go get a gun and go do these things, he was well down the road of being radicalized and having violent ideas put in his head. And you say, what are the solutions? I don't know the specific solutions, but I think we have to ask, that these companies that transmit the information rapidly around the world, that they do more to try to stop it from spreading. Well, and it, as far it, as the First Amendment, you don't have any kind of First Amendment right to be to send something over Twitter. These are businesses. You know, the, the, your First Amendment rights are just what government. All right, but let's look at the red flag law, which exists in New York. We know the state troopers visited him. They put him in for a psychiatric observation when he threatened to shoot up his school before graduation, and they didn't take his guns. They could have taken them. Right, they, they, that's a failure of the state. Yeah, no, there's. I I think that yeah, they're definitely a failure of the state. And by the way, the the challenge of those laws are you're trying to intrinsically figure. You're asking law enforcement people to intrinsically trying to figure out, get into someone's head. 
So how bad is this? Well, when you know? he answered the door in his hazmat suit with his boots yes, on and his respirator, that should have been an example to them that, yeah. hey, this kid's a little bit off here. But we do have a problem with the isolation of young men and young men in general in the United States. We have a problem. And I got to tell you, I'm someone on the left who believes that all the COVID shutdown and things like that contributed to it. And we have to take it seriously. Up next, so the Christopher Columbus statue will have no NYPD security. I have an idea, and I know that you, when you were a congressman, Anthony Weiner, would stare out of your office window and see a Christopher Columbus statue. Not Christopher Columbus, but one that got me in trouble. I'll explain oh, it after yeah, the break. Definitely, definitely have to do that as you get a panoply of different experiences that Anthony Weiner has had growing up in Brooklyn and yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, growing up in Brooklyn and then expanding. To issues around the country and around the world here exclusively on WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Yeah, he's got COVID now. He's, I, I agree with Sid Rosenberg on this. Sid uh, made an excellent coaching comment that for years, like Sid uh, was for a time, sniffing cocaine, which he had no idea what was in it. It could have been stuffed up somebody's tuchus to smuggle into the country. And there he is. Eric uh, Clapton is sniffing it like Sid was at the time. But now he won't take the vaccine. And he ends up getting what? COVID. So that leaves only Van Morrison left. They were a duo <laughs> who refused to get the vaccine. Let's hope he recovers. He had a cancelous tour, but he ended up getting COVID. That's what happens, hey. But now, it always comes back to us. Christopher Columbus, the statues, uh, 2018, uh, all over the country, 40 have been removed. Uh, after votes uh, or demonstrations or the fact that the statue was being desecrated so many times, the towns or villages or cities that it was in said, no mas, no mas, just take it down. But we in New York City, uh, we have had five that I know of, Christopher Columbus statues, all of uh, which, especially in the summer of 2020 after uh, Mr. Floyd was killed uh, at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department in South Minneapolis, that were uh, desecrated. Obviously, the one in Columbus Circle is the one most people know. In Brooklyn, where you grew up and I grew up outside of the state Supreme Court uh, building, right in the shadow of Brooklyn Borough Hall, there's a Christopher Columbus statue. I know that many times when I was having to go into court there because I had been accused of certain things. Uh, I had to touch the statue for luck. It served me well. And then uh, you have it in Astoria, AOC land. It's right by Hoyt Avenue, Astoria Boulevard. There's a bust of Christopher Columbus in Belmont in the park. The Albanians guard it now because it has been desecrated. And then there's one in Central Park. So they've been under police protection ever since the vandalism took place in 2020. And there was a move then to remove the statues. And de Blasio was right on the cusp. Yeah, no, yeah, no, right, he, right. I couldn't figure out what he felt, yeah. So now they've removed the police, the physical police security, and uh, the statues are under surveillance, video surveillance. Hopefully not the same video surveillance that's in the subway system that was not functioning <laughs> on 36th Street when the, uh, the subway shooter, Frank James, was shooting uh, 10 people. 
You know these these statues are going to be desecrated. Now that it's public knowledge that there are no cops there, it's impossible that you have one cop assigned to looking at the video feed of the Christopher Columbus statues. Yeah, but what's the places. solution to this problem? I say there are certain communities that do not want a Christopher Columbus statue. I would say definitely Astoria now. It's changed the makeup. It's not the old Italians and the old Greeks. It's a lot of hipsters and millennials. They would not want Christopher Columbus. Uh, you could make the argument you got to keep it at Columbus uh, Circle. That's iconic. They don't want it in Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn. They don't want it. So here's Staten Island. Staten, Italy, right? The most populated by Italian-Americans. You go out there, you say Christopher Columbus. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa, the Maria. That's right, special way. They thought there were four ships. But the point <laughs> is, there is no statue or tribute. To Christopher Columbus on Staten Island. And I have said when I was running for mayor, I said, take the statues that you don't want, bring them to Mount Laredo, bring them to Highland Boulevard, the places you could put those statues, and the people there would want it. Don't put it where people don't want it, where you're going to have to assign police to guard it 24 hours a day. We're in the midst of a crime crisis. Now, to me, this is a common sense solution. A common sense. Well, let me uh, look. I believe that you're exactly right about people on the rock would like to have. And I think we should have something into commemorating Christopher Columbus there. I don't buy the idea that the people of these neighborhoods don't want them. I just don't believe that. I believe that most people are in the common sense position of I am capable. I being the citizen of New York am capable of internalizing both what's good and what's bad about these people. They're historical figures. Maybe they're not all one thing. Very few people in history are all one thing. And that I'm capable of reading up a plaque. I'm capable of reading some history and making my decision what I think about them. I don't necessarily need the thing moved out of my way. It's not so offensive to me that I need a a stump, a, 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 um, but a look, statue move. But I think it's an interesting idea. You can even make like a version of Statuary Hall at 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 um, at, at Jimmy Otto's old office, at Vito Fasella's office. You know, over at the right, then, president's sure. office. Yeah, you can Mid make Island. a Statuary Hall of just Christopher Columbus statues throughout history. But I kind of like them being around. I I don't. I this issue seems to me an, an example of just kind of fringe people. By the way, it's not just Christopher Columbus. There was a, a very beautiful John Lewis statue that was temporarily at Union Square yes. that was also defied, was also desecrated by, by someone. And for a while, it and was Floyd. like – And Floyd. And remember. Yeah, that's right. And it was like DEFCON 4 with police yeah. officers and hazmat gear around protecting against a, a, another spray can showing up. So I think that – but I do admit I am a bit of a – Hypocrite on this issue, and I'll tell you what oh, I mean. Oh. Yes, this is the liberty that I have Purge now. Yourself. Purge As yourself. a former elected official, I can now come clean about things I've done in the past and be absolved of all of my sins here at the altar of the of the of uh, of uh, left versus right. When I was at Kew Gardens Road at five thousand Kew Gardens Road, right across the street, across um, Union, across uh, Queens Boulevard from Borough Hall. There was a statue just as the ramp going up to uh, to uh, Union Turnpike. There was a statue called Civic Virtue was the title of it. I remember. And it was this muscular guy with a shield and a sword standing on this mountain made up of women. It was almost as if Civic Virtue was stamping out these women like men are so much virtuous, more virtuous crushing, than women are. Crushing their and skulls. I said, get rid of it, sell it on Craigslist, sell it on good, eBay. Good. And... Art historian said you don't understand this. It's a metaphor. You don't. You're a philistine. You don't know anything about art. I said I am a, worse than a philistine. 
I'm a politician and I'm proud of it. But to this day, people still complain to me that I wanted that statue removed. And I think I had support. I think even Melinda Katz agreed with me. That is true, although Peter Vaughn Jr. was running. Uh, for the borough presidency at that time, said, no, keep the statue where it is. That was the right decision there. I want to take the statue that they took down in Syracuse, a large Italian-American community there. They warehoused it, called up the Mayor Walsh. I said, we could send an 18-wheeler flatbed truck from Staten Island to bring it out to Staten Italy. No, we can't let it go. You're going to keep it in a warehouse? Anyway, Anthony Weiner, go out into the Schwitz. Yours truly, Curtis Lee. I'll be back with you tonight, 12 midnight. And, oh, boy, breaking news. you got to stay up. Put the clothespins in your eyelids. Secrets will be told. Right here exclusively on 77 AM WABC.